Hello, welcome back to Fitness Freaks, episode three. We never thought we would make it this far, and yet here we are, three weeks down the line, and we have another guest on. We've convinced, we've roped in someone, um, tricked them, however you want to word it, but we've got another guest on, and I think it's going to be a really good one. So I'm here with um, George, who's back, actually, from his hiatus last week. Hello, everyone. Mum, sorry I couldn't make it last week. I know you were let down when you didn't hear my voice. Our one viewer, um, what viewer? Our one listener was let down. And uh, we have Sam as well back. Consistent as ever. Here I am. Here he is. And our guest this week is uh, a friend of mine, um, Craig, who's um, a coach that I met on the Level 3 High Performance Coach Triathlon, whatever you want to call it, course. So hi, Craig. Hi there. You feel all right? Living the dream, as always, buddy. So... This is how we're going to do it, Craig. We, so we've tried this podcast once, just so that you know. We, we're persevering because we are nothing if not gritty. Uh, it broke up, so we're, we're going again. So Craig has to listen to a list of his achievements two times. And being humble folk that most triathletes are, not all, but most, definitely the four in this room, um, I'm going to go over some of your, your best achievements, or I, I think they're some of your best achievements. You might have a different opinion. Uh, so that everyone else can get a flavour of you. So the first thing is that you were Coach of the Year given by Triathlon England Yorkshire in 2015, 2018 and 2019, which is some feat in itself. But not only that, you've coached multiple athletes to World and European Championships. You've personally, you've raced for GB in Sprint Triathlon, Sprint Duathlon at the Euros and the Worlds, Standard Distance Duathlon, my favourite is 7th and 4th in Escape from Alcatraz, which looked amazing. Uh, you were 8th at the Vitruvian 70.3, and I wrote down a list of the countries or towns or cities that you've raced in, which is amazing in itself. So you've raced in Adelaide, Chicago, San Francisco, Alcombendas, Pontevedra, Horst, Calcar, to name but a few, which is uh, a pretty astounding uh, achievement. Um, so first of all, welcome and and congratulations on that roll call of, of great stuff. All right, thank you. So how we like to start it usually is we like to embarrass ourselves a little bit because, um, well, I, I say I embarrassed myself. My first one was that I told a story that I swam over an old man. So really, that just made me sound like a bit of a d um, I don't know if it's embarrassing. I think George and Sam's were slightly more embarrassing. But uh, do you have a story that you would like to that you would like to tell us about something that's happened to you within triathlon? Yep. So we'll go to um, when I represented Great Britain at the World Standard Distance Duathlon Championships in Adelaide. So I uh, booked an Airbnb with uh, a friend. Um, I assumed that this Airbnb was just me and my friend. Um, so I kind of arrived there at 2 o'clock in the morning. He'd arrived the day before. Um, because of the, the jet lag and uh, the time difference, I couldn't get to sleep. So I'm kind of laid there all night staring at the ceiling, um, waiting for someone to get up, really. So um, I could hear some rustling going on in the kitchen. So I thought it'd be quite funny to go around and jump out on him. And uh, I did that. And it turns out it was some other female stopping in the house. Absolutely made a tit of myself. Um, and then later that day, we met the host. Um, she said, I've not really got any house rules. But one thing you must do is look after the bed sheets." She was like really yeah, adamant that we got to look after them. I said, yep, not a problem. Um, Went into the room, got the first thing I did was get some suntan lotion and I took the lid off and like the whole bottle went all over the sheets and I destroyed them and it was that P20 <laughs> in a real life stuff. 
Um, a high thread count. Yeah, yeah. So like the um, the ring must have been like a meter wide across his bed. It's like there's no way I could have covered it over or anything. And then finally, uh, a few days later, I locked myself in the bathroom. Um, luckily, I was with uh, my friend who was a fireman, and he had to like break the door to get me out. Um, but that was about 15 minutes. He was rolling around on the, on the floor laughing first um, before he could help me. So I'd That's what true like, friends are for, isn't it? Making fun of you before they help. Yeah. So I'd literally destroyed the house within, within a matter of four days. Yeah. <laughs> All before you'd actually even raced as well. Yeah, yeah. Pre-race nerves, I think. Yeah, let's yeah, let's put locking yourself into the bathroom down to pre-race nerves. <laughs> <laughs> but your your journey actually to to GB and all of those kind of races is is pretty amazing in itself because I I got to know a little bit about it, not loads, but I got to know a little bit about it when we were on the course. And actually, you took up triathlon pretty late on in terms of you know you certainly weren't a triathlete in your teenage years, and you came from a very you, you had a very different path into it didn't you i did um so i was probably around 32 years old when i got into it um never did sport as a kid couldn't stand pe i went to a, a school that was very rugby orientated um i'm quite a small man um like seven people in my class alone signed professional rugby so you can imagine what that was like um so I kind of avoided that best I could. And I just kind of like just got on with life, got into kind of construction, started my own painting and decorating business and got to the age of 32 when I was obese, probably drinking too much, eating all the wrong foods and um, started falling ill. So I um, had to go to hospital and have an endoscopy, have a camera down my throat and they found a, uh, a condition called Barrett's esophagus. Um, so basically, this is like a precancerous condition uh, where my esophagus can turn cancerous. So um, they took a, um, a biopsy and said, "We'll we'll get back in touch within two weeks." So you imagine those two weeks? I was absolutely petrified. Oh, that's a horrible wait. Yeah, and um, that was when I had a bit of an epiphany. Really, like I really need to sort myself out. Um, first of all, was I was just working far too many hours. I was just because I had my own business. I was doing twelve-hour days. Um, some nights I'd be working while 10 o'clock, getting takeaways, coming home, like having some alcohol drinks, getting to bed straight up. And it's like, I need to sort myself out. Um, and that was kind of March 2011. Um, so I joined the local gym and first of all, I couldn't stand it. I was really intimidated. Um, loads of big like muscle men in there. I, I was even introduced into the men's weights rooms as the man's weights room. I kind of thought, well, I don't want to be in here because I can't lift anything in there. Um, started doing a few of the fitness classes and, and started doing a bit of running. Um, as it turns out, there was no cancer there, but I had to have a camera down every year. Um, and now it's every three years because I've got it under control. And... Got into a bit of running and I didn't like none of it really. I like, enjoyed the running, but not not too much. And then my brother-in-law said, oh, I'm doing a triathlon. And this was in the October of that year. So um, I trained for that. Um, I took part in that. And yeah, I think I did it in like one hour 24. Came like 17th, something like that. And I was just in instantly hooked. Yeah. So the person who was uh, hosting that race also ran a local uh, like race team. So I got chatting to him afterwards and asked if I could go along and train. 
So that's what I did. So I kind of like, by that point, I'd lost probably around three stone. How big were you when you started, if you don't mind me asking? Like, you know, what was your weight? What were you looking at there? Uh, I was like 15 and a half stone. And you're about my height, aren't you? We're about the same height. We're about yeah, five like, eight-ish. Like five foot seven, hundred seventy-two yeah. centimeters. So like for for and I'm I've got a very small frame as well. So yeah, it was it, it was not a great place to be in. Um, so yeah, by that point I'd lost like three stone. Um, and then I started like training over the winter. Um, I bought a better bike because I've done it on a second-hand bike, and. Um, one of the teammates was saying, I'm going to be doing a duathlon in the March time. And so that was like, I entered it and trained for that. And it just so happened to be a GB qualifier. So um, he said, look, I'm going for a GB slot. Um, there's no point you doing it. You've got no chance. Just, just, just go. Um, and I thought, yeah, not a problem. And then just off the off chance, like literally like the Friday before, I thought I'm going to enter it. So I paid my £10. And yeah, and sure enough, my second race, I'd qualified for Team GB. It was just crazy. And by that point, I'd yeah, I'd lost five stone in total. I was down to ten stone. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so my third race was actually Team GB, which is a bit crazy, really. Your third triathlon ever was Team GB. Go on, George. Yeah. That's amazing. Was there, was there ever a point when the guy sort of hinted that the GB slot wasn't for you? Was there anything in the back of your mind that maybe thought, no, you know what, I can do this? Or was it a complete shock? Um, no, he didn't offend me in any way. I kind of like, I read the guy who, who was going, I really looked up to him. I still do to this day. Like he kind of says to me, like all oh, the achievements I've done is like far outweighs his. But to me, he's like, is is the guy I always looked to, they looked up to at that club. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was kind of I was not offended at all, but I just thought I don't know what made me do it, but yeah, I'm glad I did. You must have just had a feeling, right? You just you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just thought, yeah, why not? It's like putting a pound in the lottery, right? This is it. So, yeah, that's it. What? Why not take a punt and see? I mean, what would have happened if you hadn't have paid that ten quid and 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 you had have done as well as you like? How much would you have been annoyed if you'd have done that well but you hadn't have registered to to do it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm glad I did it now and and um. Strangely enough, that was kind of while I was at that event. It was it was like another turning point. Um, my brother-in-law also uh, qualified as well, um, and we was at that event, and we'd managed to get some funding. And it's, it's quite a funny story how this happened, really. So um, the guy who ran that race team, who he was like kind of representing, uh, also got in a bit of bother um, financially I believe and he, he had to go bankrupt and we got some funding and they said it has to go through the club to make sure that like you're not trying to like fiddle a system so we approached him and he said um, no there's no chance I could put it through my account because it'll just get liquidated so before we uh, went out to Holland to represent Team GB we actually went to Barclays and we sat there in front of the business manager and lied to him and said oh yeah we're, we're, we're going to start a, a triathlon club called Humber Triathletes. We just made this name up just so we could get this like 300 pounds each to get some money towards our event. <laughs> and then we was in um, was in Holland afterwards having a beer and it was kind of, we got chatting and we both said, well, we don't really like this race team. It's, it's not, it's, it was a bit kind of clicky. And it was like, right, sod it, let's just, just make a go of this Humber Triathletes. And like literally when we got back, we started... The triathlon club hub which is now yeah it's actually seven years old today 
And you, uh, you did you won Club of the Year at some point as well, didn't you? Win yeah, we won Club of the Year as well. Yeah, in, in 2015, um, and we also hosted the whole triathlon, and that actually won Event of the Year nationwide as well, which is like a really big achievement. So yeah, like that within them kind of three things, it was like I've started my triathlon journey, then like kind of forced into my coaching journey as well. Um, so yeah. And the, the way you describe this all sounds like it just fell into place, but that can't have been how it happened. You can't have gone from being overweight and being kind of overworked to then just being this miracle triathlete. You're obviously underselling how hard you've worked throughout every stage of this journey. There must have been a lot of graft that went into it at every point. That's what I was going to ask, actually, is like, you know, if, if you've got people listening to this podcast that, that haven't run yet or haven't done triathlon and they're keen, then... John's story last week about falling into it and the way that it happened, but your story this week, what what did you do in the early days? Like, other than going to the gym, what were the kind of things you did in the early days to get yourself into that place where you felt like, I, I could be a triathlete? Like Sam said, there has to be graft. Um, well, I kind of gone for the gym and I didn't like it. And before I did that triathlon, I did a half marathon um and it yeah it was quite funny really i took up running and like six weeks later completed a half marathon like it absolutely killed me but i don't know i think my my determination for all of that was just the fear of, of that condition turning cancerous do you know that is a motivation in itself and even to this day like i'm due to go for the camera over the next kind of two to three weeks like once we get sorted with a day and it's kind of like that for me is why i eat healthily why i don't drink so much alcohol but i don't know i've also got this like ethic of wanting to work hard i always want to achieve things and i always work hard to achieve that and i guess that comes from my parents they was hard workers and yeah i kind of got through that half marathon i completed it like two hours something but but i did it um, and before that, I also did like a Spartan event, and and you know it was just that was a bit of fun, but I did it. And you've got yeah. you've got the attitude of almost like do it, see what happens in a good way, you know, like let's chuck my hat into the ring, let's give it a go. You know, I noticed when when we were on the level three course, what what really stuck out for me meeting you was your unbelievable work ethic and and you always said it was about juggling plates, didn't you? You know your your fitness journey is 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 one thing but in terms of all your jobs that you had at one point you had four or five different types of jobs that you were doing while we were doing the course and and you were just working unbelievably hard at all of them and and just you were knackered all the time yeah 100 percent. it's kind of yeah um going back from the club it was kind of like my coaching journey started with the level one the level two and it was kind of like at that point I just loved working with people and loved kind of like trying to give people opportunity of something I never had as a kid. Like I didn't have those opportunities. Um, well, I probably did. I just, just totally like complacent to them because I just wasn't interested as a kid. Um, but like I kind of like I didn't want people to have like the same situation I did why I did the community stuff. But by that time I just wanted to be a, a triathlon coach as well. So it was kind of like... I joined uh, a course at the university and did um, um, a, a BSc in sports coaching sciences. And I was kind of doing that, fizzling out paints and decorating and then kind of um, starting a coaching business up. I was also uh, managed to get a job with Pentathlon GB coaching. 
um, working with their elite squads. And it was kind of like that time when I met you, I had like kind of all these little plates going on. I'm not sure you ever slept. Like, I think we talked about it. It's like, wh when did you actually find that time to sleep? Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And like one thing I am good with is kind of like managing time. Um, and this is one thing where, what I really like try and work with a lot of athletes with is basically um, managing their time as well because like if you can just change habits to do stuff and get stuff done like I don't think about doing stuff I just do it yeah I, and, yeah. and sometimes yeah I've had my fingers bent doing that but it's kind of yeah nine times out of ten worked out for me well it's a good message isn't it it's you know if there's people listening that are, I'm in an R in it, it don't I'm an R just throw yourself in and see what happens you, yeah. you don't have to be that you do an Ironman straight away I mean I took I still haven't done one actually you know and we're I'm kind of eight to ten years down the line the, a lot of people have this idea that you have to just jump in but i'm 12 years in and i've not done an ironman yeah this is it isn't it it's, you know we we're all testament to to taking our time and and just doing it for the right reasons as well john last week was talking about how he's just connected with his why like he does he's not doing it for any places or any trophies or anything he just does it because he loves getting out and um, if you added on John's message and then you take Craig's message of like, just just start, just start a journey because you don't know where it's going to take you. Would, would you, Craig, would you have said, you know, when you started in 2011, would you said that you'd be here, here as a, as a coach and having won those awards and competed for that? You probably wouldn't have even dreamed of that, would you? No, I wouldn't even thought of it whatsoever. It's like, it's strange, like... Uh... I look at the stuff like, I don't know, without sounding vain, you kind of put my name on the internet, I look at like the stories that are out there, like like that, that article I sent to you, that was just chatting to somebody, and the next thing I know is on nine or ten articles across the country, um, and, and all these things and these awards, and I'm just thinking, why? Why me? It's like, I don't get it, but... It, <laughs> But that's the humility that's the humility in you and and you know and that's a really lovely quality because i was speaking to george about you the other day and and if anyone's interested in this I, this really interests me the chats i've had with craig have been some of the most informative ones about innovation because he, he, you've always got a different angle on training you always think of something different when we were talking about people preparing for Kona, you actually hired out a, a hot yoga studio, didn't you? And got people like, and you got one of your athletes to, or you cranked up the heat, didn't you? In a studio and just made them train in there. Um, you did. You even went into the rabbit hole of like blood glucose. I remember you telling me, and you, you wanted to know when would be the right time for an athlete to take on gel in a race. So you you bought some kind of cheap insulin blood glucose testing kits and like measured people's blood glucose levels to see when would be a good time to take a gel it's like who thinks of that but obviously you do yeah i don't know it's it's connections i guess um like the hot yoga studio is from my paints and decorating days i actually painted it for them so i, I kind of that's how i met them and and then like i got invited back for some some yoga sessions and stuff so i like i kind of knew what it was like in there and at the time, I was coaching athlete, and she she qualified for Kona, and like I was just like, what else can we do to get her ready? And um, so like I had a word with the lady who owned it, and said, look, is there any chance we can get in there and kind of match it? So I looked at like the weather, looked at the humidity, and we managed to get it just right. Um, but at the time as well, I was also uh, working. Um, well, not kind of working, but it's my friend is is an elite, and he. Um, he qualified for Beijing International Triathlon, like to, he got called up to go over there. So we, we got him in at the same time. So we got him acclimatized as well. 
and it was kind of like my, this was my sports science head coming into it and like like let's do it let's track everything the heat and within four sessions of two weeks we had them acclimatized ready um like, i think ali and johnny should take a leaf out of your book right like these, <laughs> th these boys in the heat they need a little bit of help like they're the I, i'd still firmly believe ali is the best one day athlete in any distance that there is i i I, I can't well you probably could try and argue it but it, i think his dealing with the heat sometimes and johnny is what is what gets them isn't it yeah it's just yorkshire boys like i'm from yorkshire and that's it like yeah like we're, we're it just rains permanently here it's cold permanently here and um you burn when they turn a light bulb on right yeah that's it that's it yeah it's like i'm like really pasty it's just it's, we're just not used to it. We're not used to it. Like it's, it's yeah. But you're right in that one day athlete. Like without a doubt, to me, he's still the best triathlete there is. Like, and it's probably because he is local and things, or he is a GB guy. But they, they do get caught out. But I think there's also that thing within him where he just pushes himself that hard. So he's going to work out for you or it's not. He gambles every single time. Then all, yeah. That's all he knows is to push hard. And he, he has had his fingers bent. He has. But, but that's how you learn. Go on, George, jump in. Sorry, just going back there to the little comment you made there. Was it four sessions over two weeks? Sort of just my own interest. And I'm sure there's some people listening. But what did those sessions look like? Are we talking long, short, intense? So um, basically there was four one-hour sessions. Um, so we took the turbo trainers in the hot, hot yoga studio um, and I was ignoring heart, or they was ignoring heart rate. All I had to do was just was set up the, the wattage and they had to stick to zone two in watts. So it w wasn't a physiological load. It was more of a physiological adaptation we was looking for. So they just stuck to the zone two watts and then kind of every kind of 15 minutes from the baseline measurements, I was taking inner ear measurements, uh, forehead temperature measurements, uh, tracking heart rate. Um, so that first session, um, Emily lasted kind of 30 minutes and we had to drag her out. Um, and Matt had lasted 45 minutes and we had to drag him out. Um, because they're just basically cooked on the inside and you talk about like doing stuff on the cheap I, I got a 10 pound baby monitor like from from boots to, to do the temperature um, and it but it did the trick and then it comes to like session two they managed to get through the full hour but like the last kind of 15 minutes um, they started kind of overeating um, but enough to finish the session without going to the point where it's going to cause damage um, and then within the third session, that's when like like Matt had gone all the way through. Emily had kind of gone two thirds, and then come the fourth session, within kind of fifteen minutes, the body core temperature just regulated. So, so they just adapted. Yeah, yeah, adapted. Like literally within like yeah four one hour sessions, uh, over the two week window, and it was just basically making sure that that inner core temperature just didn't go too high it's crazy that the, yeah. the innovation like the thinking of the baby temperature monitor it, you know things like that that's that's what blows my mind and i suppose it it leads me on to what we were talking about earlier and and i was talking to sam and george over the week of, about this is you know the race season is let's say it's coming to an end really and we're looking we're looking ahead at this winter and i, I think if there are people listening that don't exercise or that they're new to exercise or even if they're experienced like us, I, I wondered if we had a chat about 
anything that we could think of that maybe we're either going to do this winter that's worked or is new that's innovative that that we haven't tried yet and i wondered if any of you you three really had any ideas about about winter training and how you're going to approach it um i'll go first on this one so i'm approaching mine totally different this year um i'm flipping things around from like the normal polarized training which is the the 80 20 model base training then speed on top i'm going the other way around um because we're talking of winter being in yorkshire with, with dark mornings dark nights cold i'm doing vo2 max sessions now and then i'm when it gets a bit warmer i'm then going to put my base on top of that with the thinking i'll be faster then and then I'll do my base training fast. And it's kind of called reverse polarization. Um, all the Germans are doing it now. You've got to look at Kona. All, all the past kind of like winners come from Germany. And all their coaches are kind of on this kind of reverse polarization. So for me, that, that's what I'm going at this year. And interestingly, that's what I've always done. Just because it's not necessarily a, a structure or a plan that I followed. It's That's what I enjoy the most. And that's the only thing that keeps me motivated during the winter is just doing these high intensity sessions where I'm doing VO2 max threshold efforts on the turbo because I can't stomach doing two, three, four hours sat in there just doing nothing. So that's the way I've always done it. And actually come winter, the end of winter, sorry, come spring, I've always found I'm in pretty good shape. So it's always worked for me in the past. I think, and, and that's the way that we, I, I tend to, when I'm coaching athletes, approach any you know, we're talking longer distance athletes that I'm coaching, but yeah, like Craig said, it's, it's how they do it for Kona and it's how I tend, I coach myself that as well in, um, I'll do the shorter, harder sessions over winter. I mean, if my body is in, everyone knows that I'm basically made of biscuits, but if my body, if my body could do it, I would do it, but, made um, pink wafers. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just the pink wafers and bits of string and a couple of bits of like gaffer tape basically. But if I could train, I would be training hard right now and I, I certainly am going to be once I'm back to it. But yeah, reverse polarization is, is certainly something that people should look into and rather than the big winter miles, they call it, isn't it? And all the slogs, I, I don't necessarily think it's enjoyable. Go on, George. I think for me, I'm just sticking to the traditional. Um, I'm forced by my work to sort of schedule around that. So I know come February, March, I'm out of the game for nearly two months, no swim, bike, run, except for the odd opportunity where I will get to do some bike and some run. So I do da a bit of damage limitation. So for me, I'm going to take a, a week off first, which is the first thing for me ever is when my last race is done at the end of the month, I'm just going to take a straight week off. And then I'll sit down with my coach. But what it's probably going to look like is keeping that fitness, building that base to give my body something so when I go away I haven't just completely given up since October I need to build something up conscious that it's going to drop when I'm away and then when I'm back in April time will then be another base period moving on to it so I think you know it's nice to have the uh, the perfect 365 calendar but I'm aware that those two months I'm away are going to be a write-off so I've I resign hope on the traditional method and just trying to wing it after that um, work trip. But yours is necessity as well. When you think about it, it's, it's the, the fact that you know that you've got time off coming up. I, I certainly would probably do the same. I probably would put my base in there because I know that the fitness drop-offs are 
you know, slower from a really big, solid, long distance base than they are from the short, sharp stuff. And that's just, that's the way it is. And I think what we've all said there can be applied to anybody. We're all doing what we can with our available time and with our mental capacity for the training we need to do. And that's something to take away from it all, I think, is there's no points sort of putting yourself into a mental hole over the winter doing something you don't enjoy or something you don't have time to do or the capacity to do. Because come spring, summer, when really the races are, the enjoyment is, you'll be completely burnt out. Yeah, I've been there. Like I did ultra ultra marathon in February last year, and by the time I got past the ultra marathon, I was trying to get to London marathon. I had done all those big miles. I, like I've just fell apart. I'm, I managed to get to London and do it, but off the back of not very much training in between the ultra and London, just to preserve myself, um, that was difficult. Craig, just one for you then. Is there anything you'd recommend? So for our listeners who are going to stick to maybe the traditional 80-20 and say if they've got a three-hour ride plan for the weekend and the weather's really bad, would and they say, okay, I'm going to jump on the turbo. Should they do three hours on the turbo and try replicate or should they maybe reduce that because you know the turbo can be hard mentally, your legs are constantly spinning or would it be a direct transfer, just get on there for three hours? I think that's down to the individual. I have some athletes who will quite happily do that. Like myself, I quite happily, I'd set myself a challenge and I did a 200k ride on my turbo. Just just something to do while, while I was on furlough. Just um, casually. The usual. Yeah, just casually. Um, not training for an Ironman, but I was kind of, I'm going to see how long it takes me to do an Ironman split and then I've decided to push on. Um, yeah, but it, it kind of, it's down to the individual. Um, but no, generally, I try and break that up a little bit just to make it more interesting. Maybe do some like, kind of like race pace efforts with, with some intervals in between and just, just break it down a little. Something like sweet spot efforts, but just shorten them. Um, and I think that'll just make the most of the use of the time, really. Yeah, because what's, I mean, when you're on a turbo, I, I always think, I mean, it's a very rough estimate, but it's, you know, for time on the road, if it was three hours, I'd think probably between 2.15, 2.30 is about equivalent because you you are just relentlessly pedalling, aren't you? So you've, you've got those dead spots on the road, you get to go downhill, you get a breather. So tur- turbo time, I often factor in if i'm coaching people that have to switch from road to turbine or you know if it's doing a three hour i'll, I'll tell them to just take it down and, and maybe like craig said make it that bit more intense yeah i've got yeah little the sweet spot efforts are great like they are brilliant because they're you know they're just on that borderline between feeling pretty grim but you can hold it and it's i mean that's i suppose that's why it's called the sweet spot it's just that tapping out a good rhythm but it's hard sam you used to do a lot of sweet spot stuff didn't you yeah i love it i just i yeah i think it's mental training as much as it is physiological as well definitely putting yourself in a place you don't want to be for a set period of time um and building it up slowly is and it prepares your mind doesn't it? it it prepares your like sweet spot training on the bike or the run like tempo training whatever you want to call it i always think there's probably not that much physiological benefit especially on the run in tempo when you're in zone three but you put that to the end of a marathon you know the knowing what it feels like to run at a particular pace and feel on the verge or grim then that's that mental benefit right there like that's a proper mental win so craig 
And if people were if people were interested in finding out more about you or maybe getting in contact and asking you about coaching, like what's what are your contact details? I mean, I know you're Coach Craig Try, aren't you, on Instagram? Yeah, um, and it's also coachcraigtry.co.uk on the website. Um, I'll put it in the I'll put it in the notes for the for the podcast episode as well, in case people want to want to find you. Thank you. No pleasure. Thanks for. I mean, it's it's been brilliant to to chat with you and like get your ideas and get you on and and um, you know talk about your 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 theories on winter training. And I'm I'm just glad. Like, it's nice to hear that what I'm doing as well kind of aligns with with what you're doing. I mean, mine's out of necessity, like I say, because my my body's made of uh, pink wafer, but. Um, for all the right reasons I'm trying to get myself to Ironman next year so so I reckon we should wrap it up there because I think that has been good and, and my my uh, my Zoom chat is telling me we've got less than two minutes anyway so it's probably about the perfect time but first thing thank you to all of you three for being on again and um, sharing your kind of knowledge and wisdom I think I hopefully think it will benefit a lot of people and I guess if if people that are listening to this, if you're listening to this and you want to find out more about any of us, all of the details of each of us is in the the show notes. No, what's it called? Is it a description? Whatever it's called, it's there. I'll write it down in case you want to find out more. Um, we don't know who we've got on next week, do we? Let's be honest. But we're we're trying to source some good guests. We've got we've got a fair number of people lined up that I think will be as good as as Craig and John giving you some really good information and, and getting you started. Because at the end of the day, that's what I took from this is everyone can start whenever, and it's just about taking those first steps. And if there's no guest, us three will just chat. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only bleep out I've got to do of the whole show yeah. write the time down yes I've got it it doesn't matter it's right at the end so thanks Craig thank you so much mate really appreciate you being on thanks Craig thanks for sharing your wisdom oh you're welcome and I will I will catch up with all of you very soon guys and thanks for listening as well thank you for listening to the podcast and here's the last little plea if you do listen to the podcast and you have taken some value from it then it really helps us if you just give it a little five stars a little review you know some some pleasing words some nice stuff and that really helps the podcast get out to further people and if you didn't like the podcast don't bother writing anything don't want to know about it um <laughs> but thank you anyway thanks for being on it and guys i'll see you next week and craig i'll speak to you soon thanks mate good luck with the winter training thank you right see you guys and that's it they're off and they're gone and thank you to Sam and George and thanks to Craig again hopefully bought you some good value I've certainly learned a lot myself and if you're interested in finding out more about Craig then don't forget to check the description on the podcast and keep following along I'll see you next week